could number. So there's a lot of people here. No one could number from every nation, right? Every nation. And within those nations, from all tribes and peoples and languages. And what are they doing? They are standing before the throne of the Lamb of Jesus Christ. And they're clothed in white robes. Of course, there's a lot of symbolism here in the book of Revelation. Um, but I, I think this might be communicating the fact that they've been cleansed and they're pure um, in, in so many ways. And it goes on to say with palm branches in their hands, palm branches in their hands. And what are they doing? They're crying out with a loud voice all together. And this is what they're crying out. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Guess what, guys? This is our future. As a church, as a member of the body of Christ, as someone who's been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, this is in your future. This is a glimpse of what you're going to be participating in. Incredible. Um, and so this Sunday, <clears throat> um, I want us um, to reflect on our future um, but before we're able to do that um, we have to look at our past um, as a human as humans as human beings um, and so we're going to be doing we're going to be looking at um, Genesis to begin with and we're going to make our way um, from Genesis to Revelation we're, we're not going to look at every <laughs> single passage or Bible book but we're going to start from Genesis um, to understand um, where we're at in terms of um, our future in Revelation 7. And so let's pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for this time. Um, thank you for, again, allowing us to gather in this way. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for the hope that we have because of Jesus. Um, and what we just read here from Revelation 7 um, is just amazing um, to know that in our future there will be unity um, and division, discrimination and racism will be eradicated um, because of you and who you are. And so lead us as we understand um, everything that's going on in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So it's been a strange and difficult year so far, um, hasn't it? It really has. The pandemic of the past few months and the protests um, of the past week have left us emotionally, mentally and physically drained. Um, this week, if I can be not honest, I have felt really drained um, by everything I'm hearing and seeing. Um, it's been weighty, it's been heavy on me. And I know for some of you, it's hard. Um, it's hard in so many ways. And for some of you, you're just over it and you're done hearing about the issues um, in our world. But with everything going on, um, what we must remember um, is that Jesus is still on the throne um, and that 
nothing that is currently happening has escaped his sovereignty. After our panel last week, um, which was incredible, which was so needed, by the way, I want to thank Sean Savannah, Jeffrey, Mackenzie and Umu for sharing um, honestly. Um, thank you guys for sharing through ev everything you're going through. Thank you for taking the time to share the way that you did. Um, awesome last week. And this week, um, as I was, you know, talking to the leadership and we were thinking about where to go um, for this week, we we felt that it would be appropriate um, to continue our conversations um, around race, racial reconciliation and the gospel. Um, and, and the reason is what we feel the next step for us as a church is to begin to cast vision of what it looks like for us to get a taste of what we just read in Revelation 7, um, to get a taste right here of us being diverse but united around Jesus Christ. And so this week, we're not going to have a panel, but I'm going to be providing a framework on this topic. Um, we're going to be looking at what the Bible has to say um, about race, what the Bible has to say about racism, and what the Bible has to say um, about how the gospel um, brings hope and healing in this season. Um, but before I get into our content, I, I want to make several things clear. Um, I'm a pastor and not a politician. Um, I just want to make that clear because um, th there's just so much to be said about everything that's going on. And as a pastor, and I've been speaking to several pastors, we're in this weird place of um, understanding the need for justice. Absolutely. It's a biblical thing we're for it but at the same time we have a responsibility um, um, to our church and to shepherd our church through this and so because of our two because of where we're at as pastors um, it, it, it's been hard it's been challenging for us to help navigate the church through everything that's going on you know and at the same time um um, keeping hold of what we're called to do and that is to shepherd our local churches through prayer and the ministry of the word um, and so I feel inadequate and most pastors will tell you that they feel inadequate we are in unprecedented times we are um, and so I just wanted to begin that way yeah all right let's get into our study for today if you lived in the ancient world there's a good chance you'd be living under the authority of a king in the ancient world. Many of these kings, like most of the leaders in our modern world, had inflated egos and were very narcissistic. Um, they had unlimited authority over their people and oftentimes they decided what was good and what was evil. And this, of course, led many kings to believe that they were gods. As a result, they would sometimes refer to themselves as the image of God. This is one of the reasons why many of the ancient kings made statues of themselves. But 
for the nation of Israel, for God's chosen people, they were not to view their kings in this way as gods. Although the other nations were all about making statues and idols of their kings, Israel were forbidden from making idols or images of their God. This was all rooted in Israel's belief that it was unlawful to re it was unlawful to reduce God the Creator down to something He created. In other words, it was unlawful to use created things to represent God the Creator. But there's another reason, and the Bible Project helps us with this. They say people aren't to make images of God because God has already made images of himself. And so Israel weren't to make images of God because God has made already made images of himself. And the first page of the first book of the Bible, Genesis, reveals how God made images of himself. Um, we're all very familiar with the creation of the world um, in the very beginning of time god created the world out of nothing through his words he made everything we see and taste and hear and after god created the planets and the sun and the stars as well as our earth and everything in it um, he says in genesis chapter 1 verse 26 to 28 let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth verse 27 so god created man in his own image in the image of god he created him male and female he created them 28 and god blessed them and god said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Um, a lot going on in this passage. Okay, A lot going on. Kind of what stands out most um, probably for you guys is the idea um, of God giving dominion over creation to humans. Um, but when we look at all of creation, when we look at the mag magnificence um, of the universe, the breathtaking sights and sounds of earth and the vast array of living creatures, it's easy for us to jump to the conclusion that this is where we see the greatest display of God's life and character. And it does to an extent. You know, you have Psalm 19 and other Bible passages that talks about how creation, the heavens, declare God's glory. But according to what we just read in Genesis, that's not the case. That's not the focus. The Bible describes humanity as being unique and different from anything else God created. But how are we different? I'm glad you asked. Bible scholar Bruce Ware explains, he says, greater than the stars, the moon, the mountain ranges, the oceans, or anything else is man. 
human beings have been made to display more of what God is like than anything else in all of creation. There are things said about the creation of man that weren't said about any other part of creation. And that is verse 7 again, verse 27 again. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In other words, human beings are the only part of God's creation made in his image. Every person, all the way from Adam and Eve until now, is made in God's image. And this is such an important part of what it means for you to be human. You reflect something of God's nature and character more than the rest of creation. But most importantly, to be made in the image of God, um, it, it's not just to rule and it, it's not just to kind of um, reflect the nature and character of God. Um, most importantly, what it means to be made in the image of God, uh, in terms of what we're talking about here when it comes to race, is that we're all equal. We're all equal, having the same worth and value. We may be different in so many ways, but we're all equal, having the same worth and value. Because men, because men and women are made in the image of God, every person, regardless of the color of your skin or the country they're from, are valuable and deserve to be treated with utmost respect and dignity. Because men and women are made in the image of God, every person, regardless of the color of their skin or the country they're from, are valuable and deserve to be treated with utmost respect and dignity. But unfortunately, some people have rejected or ignored the truth that all people are image bearers of the living God. And when they have, when they have rejected this important truth, it's often led to racism. Author and professor Ted Williams III says it this way. Scripture teaches humankind is created in the likeness of God. All human life has equal value because all human life has a direct connection with the divine. Racism is a clear rejection of this truth. It suggests the idolatrous notion that a single trait, such as skin color, should determine a person's worth. And so, what exactly is racism and where does it come from? Again, the book of Genesis helps answer these questions. After God made the world and made humans in his image, it wasn't long before what is known as the fall happened. And you've probably heard that term before, the fall. What is it? Genesis chapter 3 is the account of the fall and the consequences related to it. The fall is that scene in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve rebelled against God by eating from the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And because of their rebellious actions, sin entered humanity. 
And ever since that time, we've all been infected by the virus of sin. We are all, we all have an inward tendency to sin. And because of our tendency to sin, we're prone to wander away from God and his ways. Sin, in a nutshell, is a deliberate rejection of God, our creator, and how he wants us to live. Sin is the root of all evil in the world. You've heard that before. Sin is the, all, the, the root of all evil and sin in the world. And sin is the root of racism. Jarvis J. Williams defines racism in this way. The poisonous idea of people or governments rewarding social and economic privileges to one group of people by virtue of skin color or ethnic background. Sin manifests itself in different ways and in different people. And racism, racism is one of many manifestations of sin. Racism is profoundly evil. African-American professor Robert Smith once stated, racism is not a skin problem, it's a sin problem. Racism is not a skin problem, he says, it's a sin problem. And why is that? Why is racism a sin problem? In, in light of everything we're talking about when it comes to the image of God, this is why racism is a sin problem. We're all made in the image of God and condoning or turning a blind eye to the evils of racism is an assault on that image. In other words, racism is a blatant rejection of the truth that all human life has equal value because every human person um, is made in the image of God. It's to view someone differently to how God views them. Um, racism is sin because it's, it, it's, to re, it, it's to rebel against God by disagreeing with how he sees a person. And as we talk about racism and um, um, within the church, the truth is this. We may be quick to agree that racism is a sin, but it seems that we often view it as a lesser sin. Timothy Thomas, in his article titled, Is Racism Really a Sin?, illustrates our tendency as a church to minimize the sin of racism. This is what he says. I'm sure that many of you have been part of many Bible studies, community groups and discipleship programs that do not include racism as part of the routine assessment of sin. Other sins are mentioned and explored in detail. Pride, greed, slothfulness, temptation, lust, marital infidelity, anger, self-righteousness. Racism, however, is hardly, if ever, included in the regular inventory of sin. And I don't know about you, but I have never, I, I, I can't remember a time where I was part of a, a church or a community um, that had someone confess 
the sin of racism in their life. Um, and I think Timothy Thomas is absolutely right. Um, the sin of racism is often ignored. Um, it has to be one of the most ignored or minimized sins in our Christian faith. Um, we may confess other things um, and talk about pride and um, lust and all of those things. But when it comes to the sin of racism, which, which, which we all agree is sin, um, it hardly is included in the sins we confess or even repent from. And so we don't confess it, we don't deal with it. And because of this, we act as if racism doesn't exist. Um, but it does. It does exist. Ever since the fall, the sin of racism can be seen across the pages of history. And the thing is, whenever we talk about racism as it relates to the image of God, we have to look back at history and talk about slavery. And as we transition by by looking at history, some of you are probably thinking, why do we have to go back in time? What happened then happened then, and we don't need to talk about it now. Um, but the reason why we need to talk about racism in relation to um, um, slavery is because of this. History explains the reason why things are the way they are. The past affects the present. Slavery at its core, just like racism, is an outright rejection of the image of God in all people. Human beings, check this, human beings made in the image of God were captured, separated from their families, put in chains, placed in warehouses and transported all over the world like cargo to be sold into slavery. I'm from Ghana um, and I was born there. I moved to the UK when I was around six. Um, haven't been back ever since, but in Ghana there are um, landmarks, um, you know, for tourists, used for tourists that show some of the slave slave trade places. Um, and, and it's bizarre to see that slavery was a reality. What I just talked about, people being captured, separated from family, put in chains, transported all over the world and sold into slavery. That actually happened and it wasn't too long ago. And this slavery was all about people rejecting the truth of the image of God in all people. In the 18th century, most Europeans believed that God created multiple races of humans and therefore viewed people of color as less than white people. And this is the belief that resulted in the dehumanization of black people by viewing them as not fully human. Think about it. Um, human beings made in the image of God were dehumanized through slavery. They were treated as property. They were deprived of human qualities and reduced to animals. And even more devastating as it relates to the church, slave owners, some slave owners 
used the Bible to condone their racist actions. They justified the insanity of slavery by twisting biblical passages. Um, twisting biblical passages to justify um, their actions. The truth about slavery is that it's rooted in the sin of racism and racism is an assault on the image of God. Thank God that um, slavery was abolished in the 1800s. Praise God for that. And so many, the many people that were involved in abolishing slavery. But sadly, to this day, we still struggle with its legacy. Remember what I said about how the past affects the present? We still struggle with its legacy, the slavery, the legacy of slavery. It's a legacy that still lingers in our world and in our nation. While some progress has been made to eliminate racism from our culture the sin of racism is still pervasive it's always been there but it had gone underground for a bit um, said a blogger um, actor will smith said a while back racism is not getting worse it's just getting filmed it seems that technology is helping pull back the filthy reality of racism and the systemic oppression of black people for all to see. And the tragic and horrific death of George Floyd did not happen in a vacuum. It came on the heels of several other high-profile incidents that provoked conversations about the ongoing presence of racism in our world. To this day, human beings made in the image of God are victims of racism. It may not manifest in the it, it may not manifest itself in the same way it did many centuries ago, but racism is still very much alive and part of the fabric of our society. Author Curtis A. Woods describes what racism looks like in our modern world. He says, racism often happens when a society passes laws that make it hard for certain people to succeed. Racism takes place when certain skin colours and are labelled problems even before problems occur. Racism can happen in sneaky ways as well as obvious ones. Racism occurs when people don't get a job because they have a certain skin colour or look different. Many are starting to see how George Floyd's death was one piece in a much larger puzzle. A symptom of the kind of systemic racism that has kept black communities and individuals disadvantaged. It's hard to believe, but racism continues to permeate everything from the criminal justice system to healthcare. And this sad reality, sad reality 
um, is the reason why um, huge protests um, are taking place across the US and around the world. And so King's Cross Church as a church family on mission with Jesus in San Diego, how should we respond to all of this? How should we respond to the assault on image bearers of God through the sin of racism? How should we as a church family respond to the devastating and subtle effects of racism in our nation? I have a few suggestions, but before we get um, to them, let me just say this. Let me just say this. We're a church, um, not a social justice organization. This means our priority as a church is to love and live for Jesus. And loving and living for Jesus doesn't mean we turn a blind eye and a deaf ear um, to injustice, uh, right? If we did, we wouldn't be followers of Jesus. We wouldn't be followers of Jesus, okay? But what it means is that as a church, our priority is to know Jesus and make him known, all right? And so we are a church. Um, not a social justice organization. Again, that doesn't mean we ignore and don't participate in um, um, in fighting for justice, right? Jesus did in so many ways. If you read throughout scripture, God, um, his heart is towards helping the oppressed and we should be all about that. But first and foremost, we are a church um, and being a church means we are all about Jesus and so in light of all of that here are a few ways um, we can respond to everything going on our first response should be that of lament um, Romans twelve fifteen says rejoice with those who rejoice weep with those who weep we all know that passage and we've all applied it um, to times where maybe someone we know is going through um, hardship or challenges and we empathize with them and we grieve and we weep with them um, but I think it's an appropriate verse um, for us to consider um, and the topic of lament is something we should definitely be looking to and I'm sure you would agree with me when I say that the concept of lament was not something we talked about much let alone practiced in our church and if you're like me, recent events have led you on a journey to rediscover the lost art of lament. And so what does it mean to lament? The practice of lament may be unfamiliar to us, but many examples of lament are found in more than a third of the biblical Psalms. I love pastor and author Mark Vrokob's one sentence description of lament. He says, heartfelt and honest talking to God through the struggles of life. Awesome definition of lament. In essence, he's saying lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust in God. 
And so, as there's an ongoing exposure to the devastating impact of racism in our nation, the appropriate response is to lament, is to grieve and lament and weep over the pain and injustice and anguish and discrimination experienced by our black brothers and sisters who are made in the image of God, who for many centuries have been crying out for justice and freedom from oppression. Our brothers and sisters of color have been on a long journey and they are tired and they are frustrated and they are hurting and as a church community it's right and it's appropriate and it's expected of us to lament alongside them as they have. The next unworthy response to the sin of racism um, is to listen and learn. Brian Stevenson, in his book, Just Mercy, um, is patient with those of, of us unfamiliar with the experience of most African Americans. He first invites us in the books to be proximate, to get closer to the stories of injustice, especially racial injustice. Um, one way to get closer is to listen and learn. Um, as you've followed conversations on race, you've probably noticed people are not only marching against racism, they're learning about it. Um, in our panel discussion last week, Mackenzie Taylor encouraged us to read up on the topic of racism and to further educate ourselves and that was an awesome suggestion but for some of you you just don't know where to start you're like where do I start what do I read there's so much out there um, and in light of this we want to help you that's why next week we're planning on adding a web page on our website with resources on this topic of race reconciliation and the gospel and, and that's just short term okay what we're doing um, in these two Sundays and what we're going the resources we're providing is all short term um, when it comes to us looking at what God has to say about racial reconciliation and how we can see Revelation 7 become um, become evident in our church um, short term but our long-term vision as a church is to not be reactive but to be proactive um, in seeking racial reconciliation that's why we will continue to learn together um, when everything is over when there's no more protests when um, all of this is done as a church we're not going to stop because the world stops we will continue 
to learn together. We will be intentional about it and we'll continue to seek wisdom and guidance from God's word. We will also continue to seek wisdom and guidance from um, our brothers and sisters um, who are African-American and we want to hear from them and all of those things. And so we're praying and thinking through what it looks like to continue this conversation and continue to learn from God and others as to how um, we can see Revelation 7. Um, we can get a taste of Revelation 7 right here, right now in the life of our church. Ed Welsh, who's a counsellor and prolific author, had this to say in a recent article. In our ministry of pastoral care and counsel, we have witnessed how important it is to speak out. We talk with men, women and children who have been victimised. If we are moved by what victims say and yet say nothing, um, we only intensify their pain. Our silence will seem to call their abuse into question. We must say something. And so, if your heart breaks over George Floyd's death, if your heart breaks for the great loss to those who loved him, and if your heart breaks for how what happened to him is so familiar to African American men and women, the emotions you're feeling and the heartbreak you're feeling should lead you to some sort of action. And one I would suggest is to speak out, is to say something. Again, um, um, Mackenzie, um, last week, that was one of the suggestions she made. I think the question was, hey, how, how can we as a church family um, come alongside you and support? And she said, yes, um, definitely um, learn and listen, but also speak out as well. And so as a church family, it's important we say something as we do justice with those who are losing hope. And we can speak out in so many ways, okay? We can speak out in so many ways. If we have friends or families or co-workers who um, make racial um, comments um, in, in any way, we can speak out. And with a spirit of gentleness, and, but also firmness, um, we need to call them out and um, point out why what they're saying is wrong. We understand racism is a sin. We, we just saw that, okay? We just saw how sinful it is and how against the way God wants things to be. And so if anyone is being racist, we need to speak out and we need to call them out and we need to confront them the same way we would confront someone um, who was, um, um, you know, I don't know, sinning in another way. And so that's one way we can speak out. The next one is peaceful protests. OK, let me just clarify this. Um, there are differences of opinion within the church world when it comes to whether we should participate in protests or not. All right. King's Cross Church, we don't have a position for you. 
Um, we think when it comes to involvement in protests, we think it should be up to you, the individual, to decide whether you want to be involved or not. Okay, some of our member, the members of our church um, who love Jesus, who are passionate about the church, have been involved in protests, peaceful ones. Okay, um, some of our brothers and sisters in Christ have no intention of being involved in protests. And I think that is fine. What we don't want to do um, is to judge people. Um, is to see someone from our church involved in protests and looking negatively at them and saying to ourselves they are involved in something that they shouldn't be, you know, or, or vice versa. If we don't see someone who is involved in protests, I don't think it's right to assume that they don't care about justice. Um, they don't care about justice. And so that is what I will say about that. That's a way we can speak out, but that might not be the way everyone um, needs to speak out. And again, when it comes to the protests, we, um, we want to make sure of that. And we also want you guys to know that we're not like for the violent versions of those protests. We're, we're not. Um, as a church, we are about peaceful protests. We are about calling out sin and confronting injustice in our system, but doing it in a way that is both gracious, um, but at the same time has firmness as well. Okay, that's one way. The other way, again, you can post stuff on social media and share stuff. But in all of your speaking out, make sure that you do it with grace and grit. Um, when you call out the sin of racism, when you hear about it. All right. The last but not least, and I would say most important response we should have to all of this is to hope in Jesus. Um, and this sounds like a cliche, and I'm sure most of you knew I was going there, but it's the truth. Um, it's the truth. We need to hope in Jesus at this time more than ever. Um, we hope in Jesus because first, he is the image of the invisible God. Even as we bear the image of God by nature, we do not do so perfectly. Um, sin distorts and disrupts it, but it does not destroy it. Instead, it reminds us of our need for the only one who perfectly images God. Jesus, who is the perfect image of the invisible God, the only one who perfectly reflects all of God's attributes, fulfills his will and enjoys a perfect relationship with the Father. And it's only in Jesus that we too can enjoy a relationship with God. Next, we hope in Jesus because he understands. He understands what it's like to suffer the pain and misery of injustice. Third, we hope in Jesus because he came to cast down the wall that separated um, different races. Um, we know that Jesus came and he was able to break down the wall that 
divided Jew and Gentile. And not only that, through his death and resurrection, he came to break down other walls that exist between other races, nationalities, tribes or tongues. Jesus is truly the land that is worthy for only he has done this and can do this. Next, we hope in Jesus because he will continue to confront the sin of racism in our world. It's good to speak out against the sin of racism. It's good um, um, and fine to protest in a peaceful way against racial justice, injustice. Um, it's good to post and share and hashtag um, for the cause of racial um, um, justice and everything like that. All of these things are awesome and we're seeing them make a huge difference in our culture. But the truth is the protests are going to be over soon. The hashtags will no longer be trending. And when this happens... What we can be confident as a church is that Jesus will continue to confront the sin of racism and bring about lasting healing and change through his spirit and his church. Okay, We hope in Jesus because he will continue to confront and deal with the sin of racism. Our black brothers and sisters are tired, they're hurting, they're fearful and frustrated and all their emotions are real and justified and as we lament and fight for justice may we all keep our eyes fixed on Jesus who came to bring a greater peace a peace guys a peace that comes from having our sins forgiven and the peace that conquers our fear of death and so as a member of our church will you come on this journey with us will you come on the journey to to seek and to value everyone who God created in his image will you come on the journey to lament the sin of racism will you come on the journey to speak against the sin of racism will you come on the journey with us to hope in jesus christ our lord and savior who is the only one able to bring long and lasting change and healing Will you come on the journey to get a taste in this present time what we'll experience forever in eternity? And as by way of reminder, here is what is in our future as a church and here is what we can taste and sample in the present time. Revelation 7, 9 to 10 again says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, 
standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. In the first book of the Bible, Genesis, we see how God created man in his image. After the fall, we saw how sin polluted humanity and brought about many sins, including racism. We saw how racism continues to wreak havoc in our modern world. But we also saw how Jesus, through his life, death, burial and resurrection, dealt with the penalty of sin and the power of sin. And now we see in Revelation 7 what it will be like when Jesus returns and finally deals with the presence of sin in this world. There will be a diversity of people all united around King Jesus. And as a church, I can't think of a time where the church is needed to become the church God calls us to become and so as a member of the church may you commit to joining us on the journey of seeking racial reconciliation in Jesus Christ so that we might display to the world the power of Jesus to bring people from all different backgrounds, to bring people of all different skin colours together to worship him.